Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. In 1984, a blockbuster movie was released that helped Hollywood achieve one of the greatest years it had ever had in its history. The Karate Kid, starring Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita, was an underdog story. Uh, inspired by the Rocky film that had come out and won several Oscars in 1976, except The Karate Kid was written for teenagers and aimed at that market. Macchio plays Daniel LaRusso, who is a teenager that was moved from his hometown of Newark, New Jersey to Los Angeles, California because his single mother needed a new job or was making a career change. Daniel's transition, though, to West Coast culture uh, was not only difficult, but he had a very hard time making friends. Uh, He went to a beach party as an attempt to try and timidly make new friends, and at that beach party ended up in a conflict with the gang leader from a Cobra Kai dojo. After Daniel continues to get bullied by the Cobra Kai gang, uh, he eventually is taken under the wing of an Okinawan maintenance man at the apartment building where he lives with his mother, a man that he calls Mr. Miyagi. Eventually, it becomes clear that the only way Daniel can get free from these bullies and get them to leave him alone is to beat his Cobra Kai adversary at the under-18 All-Valley Karate Tournament. While preparing for the tournament, Daniel is not only taught karate, but also many wisdom principles that can help him in life. The movie is sprinkled with several pithy sayings that this old wise mentor, uh, Mr. Miyagi, shares that are so often quoted by Gen Xers today that reflect on the movie. For example, Mr. Miyagi uh, said in the movie, uh, Daniel-san, either you karate do yes or karate do no, you karate do guess so, get squished like grape. (laughs) And then he says, man who catch fly with chopsticks accomplish anything. And Daniel in the movie does it on his first try and Mr. Miyagi had been trying for uh, a few decades to catch a fly with chopsticks. And he says, beginner's luck. (laughs) In another scene, he counsels Daniel with some more wisdom. He says, first learn to stand. Then learn to fly. Nature rule, Daniel's son, not Mr. Miyagi's. And then he tells them, I think shortly before the tournament, it's okay to lose to your opponent, but never okay to lose to fear. Eventually, Daniel overcomes uh, overwhelming odds in Rocky-like style and defeats his adversary with the famous crane kick at the All-Valley Karate Tournament. But one of the reasons I think the movie was, one of the many reasons I think the movie was uh, very popular and exceeded expectations in the box office is that Daniel LaRusso not only gained a karate teacher, but he also gained a wise mentor 
and a father figure that he needed in his life because his father was not in the picture. Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel that he needed something more than karate, and he reemphasized that throughout the movie, more than karate to be successful in life. He needed wisdom, and that's what he tried to impart. How many times have you looked back on your life and thought to yourself or said to yourself or said to the Lord, Oh, if I only knew back then what I know now. We all can, can't we? I know I can. We look back, and even though hindsight's 2020, we also need, like Daniel, a mentor. We all need wisdom in the challenges that we face in life so that we can get through life with hopefully a few less bumps and bruises. And this is one of the many reasons why I think the Lord, in his providence, uh, ordained that the book of Proverbs be included in the canon of Scripture. We're beginning a new series today in the book of Proverbs called Living Wisely. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Proverbs chapter 3 and pull out the sermon notes that are in the worship folder you received when you came in this morning. If you forgot your Bible, you just raise your hand and one of our ushers will loan one to you. Uh, the book of Proverbs sits in between Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So if you find the Psalms, hang a right. If you find Ecclesiastes, hang a left, and you should be there. My intent in this uh, first message is to do a lot of groundwork laying for the work we're going to be doing in the weeks ahead. Uh, I want to help us sort of be able to understand and properly interpret the Proverbs in the weeks ahead, but I also want to equip you this morning so that you can do your own study of the Proverbs, and, and maybe in your devotion time, and, and, and properly interpret them so that you can glean everything possible from them. And as you see in your sermon note handout, my introduction is longer than usual. I can't remember the last time my introduction covered the whole front page, and then my outline for the text is really short and just covers the back page. Um, so please bear with me. I want to try and give you... There are a lot of blanks to fill in today, but I think it'll make the time go fast. And I'm hoping that uh, you'll be able to stick, stick your notes inside your Bible in the book of Proverbs so that when you study Proverbs, you can pull them out and go, oh yeah, he said this, oh that's why that's there, and this is how it works, okay, good. So, uh, so let's begin. Here's a little bit of background on the book of Proverbs. Most of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, uh, who reigned in Israel from 971 to 931 BC. Now, uh, you might remember that Solomon was the second son of King David and Bathsheba. Solomon was anointed king just before his father's death in 1 Kings chapter 1. And soon after he was anointed king and installed, Solomon became famous because uh, the Lord, in essence, sort of gave him a, a freebie and said, ask for anything you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He, he didn't ask for more wealth. He didn't ask for more women. He didn't ask for more warriors in his army, like many kings would have. Instead, he impressed the Lord, it says in the text, by asking for wisdom, the ability to discern good from evil, right from wrong. Solomon wanted that. And so, after this, Solomon became known as the wisest man in the world at that time. 
1 Kings chapter 4 describes that. And although he started out on the right spiritual track, Solomon's wealth and women crowded his heart so that, unfortunately, later in life, he turned away. It says in 1 Kings 11 that his heart turned away after other gods. Now, because Solomon's lifestyle choices, because of his lifestyle choices, I think we need to be careful not to lift him up as the, as the model person to, to follow. He's not the hero of the book of Proverbs, and I want to be careful about that. Uh, it, sadly, his son, Rehoboam, that followed him on the throne, followed his father's example instead of his father's wisdom and became a foolish, evil ruler. Instead, though, I think we should... Uh, view Solomon as more of sort of a road sign who's pointing us to the ultimate author of this book, the original author, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was the only person that ever lived who implemented and practiced and, and applied all the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so there's a little bit of background on Proverbs. Next, the structure of the book. I want to help you understand how it's laid out. Proverbs is notoriously difficult to outline, but not impossible to outline. Uh, At first glance, it looks like 800 Twitter posts in couplets is what it looks like, uh, with pithy, memorable sayings. But uh, it is possible to outline it, and one of my... favorite or outlines that I like best from several commentaries I've looked at is this one I'm going to show you. It's, it basically breaks Proverbs down into four sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 contain wisdom for young people. Uh, he begins the book with ten exhortations, uh, each beginning with a passionate plea, uh, my son or my sons. It's, it's believed that he was writing to his son or several of his sons, giving them advice for life. Most of these exhortations in chapters 1 through 9 include uh, the urgency of pursuing wisdom and, and warnings to avoid adultery and advice on other pitfalls in life to avoid. And so it sort of allows us to sit in on a mentoring session between a father and his sons. Next, chapters 10 through 24 contain wisdom for all people. This section broadly appeals to all people regardless of age, sex, or position in society. It contains memorable sayings on everything from child raising to money and to speech. And then the third section, chapters 25 to 29, contain wisdom for leaders. At least that seems to be the target. Uh, However, uh, even though 25 to 29 contains wisdom for leaders. I think all believers, regardless of their role, whether they're in leadership or under leadership, can learn from uh, lots of good truths from Proverbs 25 to 29. It's believed that um, Proverbs 25 to 29 were collected by King Hezekiah's men after uh, Solomon had passed away, and they compiled additional writings that he had made and then put them in those chapters there. And finally, the fourth section, Proverbs 30 to 31, uh, wisdom for disciples. Now, that does not mean wisdom for, like, the disciples, the 12 that walked with Jesus. Uh, Instead, these last two chapters in 30 and 31 
were written by two sages that we don't know much about. In fact, in your Bible, there's probably a subtitle underneath them. Uh, the first mystery sage is a, is a man named Agur, who uh, wrote chapter 30, and he's writing advice to two of his uh, disciples or disciplees, uh, protégés. The other mystery sage is a man by the name of King Lemuel, who wrote chapter 31. And it's believed that King Lemuel was recording wisdom that his mother had passed down to him. Many of you know Proverbs 31, the, the excellent wife is described in that chapter. And so it's believed that King Lemuel was recording wisdom that his mother gave him on, here's the kind of woman you should look for. And so that is where Proverbs 31 came from. So, uh, four sections, wisdom for young people, wisdom for all people, wisdom for leaders, and wisdom for the followers of, of uh, Agur and King Lemuel. Next, there's some principles for interpreting Proverbs that uh, are important for us to be aware of, and I want you to learn, and I'm going to be using these principles as I work through the series. Uh, because Proverbs is different in style and tone from other books in the Bible, we need to use a couple rules in order to interpret the book accurately. This is important because inaccurate interpretation leads to inaccurate theology. And inaccurate theology leads to poor choices and often deep disappointment with God. Because God didn't do what I thought he was supposed to do or going to do when in actuality God was being who he is, we had unrealistic or inaccurate expectations of him. And so here's the first kind of principle and interpretation for Proverbs, and that is that Proverbs are principles, not promises. One of the best examples of this comes from Proverbs 22, verse 6. Uh, it's one of the most popular Proverbs in the entire book, and I'm sure it's a verse that most of you know well. It's where Solomon writes, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we'll talk more about this later in the series, but uh, in short, Solomon is not proclaiming a surefire formula for uh, guaranteeing that your children turn out to be Jesus-loving adults. He's, uh, and both you and I know, parents, I can think of some, I'm sure you can think of some too, parents who love Jesus were faithful in taking their kids to church, they walked with the Lord, they were in the scriptures and in prayer, they prayed for their kids, they shared the gospel with their kids, and then unfortunately the kids reject the faith when they become adults. They walk away from the Lord or they never accepted the Lord. Um, and so what Solomon, I think, instead is saying in Proverbs 22.6 is that generally, usually, a high percentage of the time, when the parents love Jesus and walk with Jesus and they share their faith with their kids and they raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord in a Christ-centered home, usually, generally, a high percentage of the time, those kids will walk with the Lord. But not always. Not always. More on that later. Next, many Proverbs are comments, not commands. Many, not all. They are general observations about the Lord, about life, about people, and about the world. For example, in Proverbs 16.31, it says that gray hair is a crown of glory. I know some of you are thrilled to hear that today. 
And the second half of the verse, Proverbs 16, 31 says, it is gained by a righteous life. Now, can't you think of some people, just like I can, who have gray hair that have lived wicked lives? Of course. And Solomon, is he saying that if we live a righteous life, we'll earn gray hair? No, he's obviously not. He's making a lot of observations, like he does in Proverbs 16, in which, in essence, he's saying, under the right circumstances, this outcome is generally or usually produced. But not always. It's not 100%. It's a, but it is enough to say there's a pattern there, and that's what Solomon is trying to, to highlight. There is a general, usual pattern that when this happens, this happens. And so... Although there aren't many commands in the book of Proverbs, one who ignores Solomon's spirit-inspired counsel, I think, does so at their own risk. Next, the third interpretation principle is that some Proverbs should be taken figuratively, not literally. A good example of this is Proverbs 10.10, where it says, Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Does this mean that every person who winks their eye is up to no good? No, it doesn't. The sage is simply saying that some people wink their eye because they're being deceptive, while others don't blink their eye but are up to no good, like someone that does wink their eye. <laughs> That's what he's saying. So some proverbs should be taken figuratively, not literally. Next, here's the, I want to share with you three types of Proverbs. I, I almost took this out just for the sake of time, but then I decided at the last minute to leave it in because I think it is helpful, and uh, it's helpful for me, and I hope it'll be helpful for you. There are three types of Proverbs that we're going to run into in this series. Proverbs is written in Hebrew poetry style, excuse me, a Hebrew poetry style called parallelism. Most of the verses are comprised of two lines called couplets in some type of parallel relationship. Now, understanding the types of Proverbs can go a long way in helping us interpret them accurately as well. And so, again, at the risk of sounding like this is seminary class and boring you to death, I'm going to move quickly through this, and, and then I'll, I'll bring some of these things back up as we work our way through the series. So, uh, here's the first type. Some Proverbs contrast. A contrasting proverb typically has two statements connected by a conjunction, such as but. And the statements are either opposite of each other or different from each other. For example, Proverbs 10.1 compares the wise son to the foolish son when it says, a wise son makes a glad father, but, contrast, a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So some Proverbs contrast. Next, some compare. Some Proverbs compare. There are other Proverbs that compare similar or different ideas by using conjunctions, such as so, or as, or better than, or like. For example, Proverbs 15, 16. It says, better is a little, he's referring to money, 
a little money with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So some compare. And thirdly, the third type of proverb that we'll run into is complementary proverbs. Some complement. The first half of the verse will make a statement, and then the second half will basically say the same thing in a different way, connected by the conjunction and. Uh, so for example, in Proverbs 14.10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. So we have contrasting Proverbs, we have comparing Proverbs, and we have complementary ones. And then next, uh, as I have done in the past when working through a book, there are often key words. In Proverbs, there are four key words. I know in 1 John we had two. Uh, there's a lot more verses in Proverbs, though, 31 chapters, about 800 verses. And so scholars have, have said, and I even did this myself. I went to BibleGateway.com and then punched in a few words that I thought might be key. And these are the ones that show up the most. And one in particular, it's a phrase, uh, I think has the most weight behind it. And so here's the first key word. It's pretty obvious. Wisdom. The theme of the book is wisdom. The word wisdom or a similar uh, variant is used 46 times throughout this book. The Hebrew word for wisdom is the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, used throughout the Old Testament, excuse me. It's the Hebrew word hakmah. And it's used to describe people who were skillful at a craft, um, say like a goldsmith or uh, someone that was good at working with their hands, like a weaver or an architect. And if such a craftsman was knowledgeable and experienced and efficient at their craft, they were considered wise. This reminds me of a story I, I, I read years ago. Um, uh, it's about automaker Henry Ford. He uh, asked electrical genius Charlie Steinmetz to build generators in his new Ford factory. Well, one day the generators suddenly shut down and Ford's repairman couldn't find the problem. And so, out of desperation, because the assembly lines had stopped and cars weren't rolling off, and so if cars aren't being made, he's not making money, out of desperation, he called Steinmetz. And Steinmetz comes down to the factory and tinkers with the generators for a few hours, and then um, throws, throws the switch, and sure enough, the generators roar back to life. Outraged by the, well, excuse me, a few days later, Ford receives a bill from Steinmetz, the maker of the generators, and the bill was for $10,000 to get them running again. And so Ford, who was a little tight-fisted, uh, was outraged by that and, and called Steinmetz to complain about the repair bill being so high. And uh, after that complaint, uh, Steinmetz sent him an itemized invoice that broke down the charges of $10,000. The itemized bill read this, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. <laughs> After reviewing the itemization, Ford decided to pay the bill. 
In a similar sense, in the spiritual realm, this is what the word chakmah in the Hebrew, the word for wisdom, 46 times in the book of Proverbs, this is, here, here's, what, here's what chakmah means in the spiritual realm. And that is, a person who is knowledgeable of the scriptures and skillful in applying them to daily life is called wise, or they are called someone who has wisdom. They, they are like a craftsman that is very good at taking the word and saying, okay, here's a situation, okay, here's what God's word has to say about that situation. Here's what God's word says about that person and their behavior. The Bible calls them wise. Here's the next key phrase or key word, and it is fear of the Lord. We're going to see this come up several times. It comes up at least 14 times after my search on Bible Gateway. The phrase is used throughout the Old Testament to describe being afraid of the Lord, in awe of the Lord, and also respecting Him. All three uses of fear of the Lord capture attention that the Lord seems to want us to have with him. He, he wants us to fear him enough, as far as like a, 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 being an afraid kind of fear, that we respect him, but he doesn't want us to be so afraid of him that we distance ourselves. He wants us to also be in awe of him so that we draw near him. The Bible talks about both. So it, it captures this tension of drawing close to him in delight and pulling away from him. In dread. And Solomon says throughout this book that the fear of the Lord, fear of his judgment, and being in awe of his character should both motivate us to pursue wisdom. That's what he's going to tell us over and over again. Next, the third word that I think is key that he uses over and over again is understanding. It's used 32 times. Solomon uses at least two word, two Hebrew words, excuse me, for understanding uh, in the book of Proverbs. Both words are similar but different depending on the context they're used. They usually refer to having the intelligence, insight, or capacity to see things from God's perspective, not our own. And so he will say from time to time, a fool lacks understanding. Meaning the fool is not able to see things from God's perspective as he should. And then finally, speaking of the fool, that is the fourth key word, 71 times. The fool leads the score in the book of Proverbs for being mentioned the most. It's a derogatory term as a negative standard to avoid being around or being like the fool. According to Solomon, fools lack understanding. They are unteachable. They scoff at wisdom. They refuse correction. They are proud. They talk too much. They have too many opinions and are impulsive. And he says, don't be like the fool. And then he holds up the wise man or the wise woman, the prudent person as the positive example, be like them. And so throughout the book, he's contrasting the fool and the wise man. And then next, our series key verse, as I like to often do, is choose a verse that we can try to memorize together, a verse that captures 
sort of the theme of the book and boils it down into one memorable statement. It's Proverbs 9, verse 10. I'd encourage you to underline it or highlight it in your Bible if you haven't done so already. It should be on your handout, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's say it out loud together. Proverbs 9, 10 in the ESV. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I think one of the many things that Solomon is saying here is that if you want to become wise, you must begin with a personal, intimate, growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As you have heard me say before, such a relationship is made possible by repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Christ by grace alone and in Him alone for our salvation. In doing so, the Scriptures say that the Spirit will cause the the new believer to be born again and will take up residence in the heart of that person. And because the Spirit indwells the heart of that new believer, their mind will be opened to understand and be able to practice and apply the Scriptures. And so I think that's part of what Solomon is saying here, is that if you want to get wisdom, God's wisdom, the first thing is you have to begin with fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in addition to God's enabling grace and his indwelling Holy Spirit, wisdom helps us to please the Lord. And so thus, that's our big idea for today. And yes, I realize that I'm 30 minutes in and just getting to the big idea, but don't worry, I'm going to move quickly. So here's the big idea. The Lord is pleased to give us wisdom because living wisely pleases him. The Lord is pleased to give us wisdom because living wisely pleases him. Now, please don't, please don't miss this, friends. The very fact that there is an entire book in the Bible dedicated to wisdom screams that we need wisdom to live a life pleasing to God, and that that wisdom does not reside within us, that we don't have it. And so I think Proverbs is the Lord saying to us, I so badly want you to live a life pleasing to me that I can also bless, I want to bless you, that I'm willing to write down more than 800 verses that will tell you how to live for me. I want to make that possible. All you have to do, I think the Lord is saying this by putting Proverbs in the canon scripture, all you have to do is just read it and do it. And I will bless you, and you will live a life pleasing to me. Now, of course, you might be wondering like I do, well, golly, when you put it like that, Pastor Kerry, it seems so simple. How come more people don't read Proverbs? I was wondering that myself. My short answer to that question is because we have an inherited sin nature that makes us arrogant and proud and think we don't need no stinking help from anybody. We'll live the way we want, which is how we got into this mess in the first place that required Jesus to die for our sins. So, Now, 
You might be familiar with, and you probably have heard James 1, 5. Uh, it reveals God's heart again when it comes to wisdom. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all who ask without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so, as we look at the book of Proverbs, 800 plus verses on wisdom, do you think the Lord has given it generously? I think so. So let's see what he has to say about wisdom. We're going to be hopping around in this series because Proverbs doesn't organize the verses by topic. And so what I'm going to be doing is sort of collating the various Proverbs on, by topic, and, and we're going to have to hop around. So, so the verses on money are spread throughout. The verses on the tongue, they're spread throughout several chapters. We're going to look at three chapters today, and we're going to start in Proverbs 3. If you would look at verse 13. Solomon is making the case with his sons, whom he loves, and he wants them, at least when he's writing this, to walk with the Lord and please the Lord. And he's saying, get wisdom. And so he's listing many, many, many benefits of wisdom. So, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Here's point one on your outline. This would be on the back side of your outline. Uh, the first reason we should study Proverbs is that God's wisdom can lead to blessings. God's wisdom can lead to blessings. Now, we often want God's blessings without having to exercise wisdom, but he has set up some contingencies here. Some translations render this, happy is the one. Now, although that's close to what the original text says, it's not the best way to explain what the sage is saying here. The emphasis in verses 13 to 15 is on the benefit of gaining wisdom. In fact... It's so advantageous, Solomon says, it's better than having gold and silver and investing in it. The return on investment that you get from wisdom is exponentially better, says Solomon, than investing in gold and silver. And you know how people, even to this day, love money and love gold and silver. Solomon's saying, it's a waste. Wisdom is better. Next, let's define wisdom. There are a lot of definitions out there. Here's a definition I've been working on for a few years. I might change it next week. But for now, here's my best attempt at boiling down as simply as I can what wisdom is. I think it's the skillful application of God's word to every area of life for God's glory and are good. It's the skillful application of God's word to every area of life for God's glory and our good. So it's not just for us to get blessed, it's also so that we can please the Lord and glorify him in all that we do. Now, it's important to note that wisdom is not the same as intelligence or knowledge. You know as well as I do, there are smart people in this world that are absolutely foolish. They are not wise. 
Instead, wisdom is the ability to know what verses in God's word are needed in a given situation, as I said a few minutes ago, and what those verses say to do. It's the ability to discern what is pleasing to the Lord based on principles found in Scripture, even when the Scriptures don't specifically prescribe what to do. So, for example, wise people make good decisions in relationships and with their finances and who they marry or what career they pursue, not because the Word of God told them exactly what to do, but because they were able to look at the Word and sort of put principles down like uh, tent stakes is how I like to think of it. And they, they put the stakes down. Okay, the Word says I should save money. The Word says I should invest money. The Word says I should tithe part of my money. And they put the stakes down. And then within the, the area inside the tent, they make financial decisions. There's freedom within the tent to spend money and invest it differently, but they have boundaries that they've set up to work within. That's, that's wise money management. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And so Christ followers that have gained wisdom from the word generally are blessed with godlier character, healthier relationships, stronger finances, and they generally are better decision makers. Look at uh, Proverbs 3 again with me, verse 17. Solomon continuing to make the case to his sons for wisdom. He says, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And then skip down to verses 23 and 24. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Here's the second reason we need to study Proverbs and learn the Proverbs, and that is that God's wisdom can reduce your anxiety. God's wisdom can reduce your anxiety. The believers that have wisdom have peace in their soul, says Solomon. They rarely stumble along the way, and they usually sleep well at night. Why? Because the Lord's wisdom has removed their anxiety about who he is, what he's going to do, how he sees their circumstances, what they should do about circumstances, and what events might transpire because of their decisions. Wise people know the word, and because they know the word, they usually have less anxiety. So if your anxiety is keeping you up at night or affecting your health or robbing your joy, then get God's wisdom on what you're dealing with and facing. And according to Solomon, you'll have peace and confidence and sweet sleep that is described here. The Lord is pleased to give us wisdom because living wisely pleases him and he wants us to have it. Next, if you would, turn to chapter 4, uh, in verses 5 and 7. He continues to make the case for wisdom and again, I'm only giving you four benefits of wisdom. He gives like a hundred. And so here, look at chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. Uh, Solomon says, get, get wisdom and get insight. And do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Here's uh, number three. God's wisdom can improve your decision-making. Can improve your decision-making. She will guard you, what he says, using feminine language to describe wisdom. Solomon's telling his sons, if you hold on to wisdom, and you, you will keep out of trouble for the most part. You will keep yourself from making poor decisions that get you into trouble. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you have gotten in a nasty bind because you made some poor decisions. But I think we all have. We all can look back and go, oh, man, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. I'm not telling my kids I did that. So wisdom enables believers to know the difference between better and best. Good and evil, God's will and man's will, and pleasing the Lord versus pleasing people. Like guardrails on an interstate or guardrails on a mountain road as you head out to the coast, wisdom keeps us from going off the cliff in a moment of weakness when our emotions are wanting us to just go crazy. Wisdom keeps us from falling into the ditch. And so God's wisdom can improve your decision-making. Here's the fourth one. God's wisdom can protect you from yourself. Do I need protection from myself? Yeah, yeah, you do. Just ask your spouse. Yeah, and it's in chapter 8. Probably one of my top five favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you would turn to chapter 8, we're going to look at the last two verses here. Verses 35 and 36. Again, we're now eight chapters in, and Solomon is still making the case to his sons. I don't know, maybe because they're stubborn and hard-headed like us. He really wants to load it on, like, you got to get wisdom. And he says, for whoever finds me, referring to wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So number four, God's wisdom can protect you from yourself. This is one of those contrasting proverbs I told you about earlier. Verse 35 states another blessing of gaining wisdom, the positive, is juxtaposed excuse me, with a conjunction following the pain of lacking wisdom, the negative. Here's the positive. You get favor in life. Here's the negative. You hurt yourself without wisdom. I remember the first time I read verse 36, my soul cried out to the Lord, Oh, how many times have I shot myself in the proverbial foot because I lacked wisdom? How many stories could I tell, too many, <laughs> in which I made poor choices because I was too proud or I didn't seek counsel or I didn't care about wisdom or maybe I just didn't have it at the time. How about you? Have you ever been there? Well, if verse 36 isn't convicting enough, check this out. I just learned this last night. In the Hebrew text, the word for himself means his soul. 
So for years, I always thought, I always envisioned when I read verse 36, you know, just shooting myself in the foot, as they say, the idiom here in America, you know, so then you're limping and uh, hurting. But I was blown away when I was studying last night, and I found that Solomon is saying, if you fail to find wisdom, you injure literally your soul. Your soul. And so if for any, if none of the first three reasons motivates you to find wisdom, man, Solomon's saying, at least do it so you stop hurting yourself. Do it so you stop making poor money decisions and relationship decisions and marriage decisions and work decisions. Do it so that at least you start by stopping the bleeding. So... God's wisdom can protect you from yourself. And if I haven't motivated you to start a perfect attendance streak this summer for this series, man, I don't know what else to do, but I'm trying my hardest here, all right? Here's two applications for you. Admit your foolishness. What? Yeah, yeah. We all will be able to, this summer, as we go through this series, we all will be able to go, oh, man, I wish I knew that verse. Back in 1986, that verse would have really helped me a lot. Or, man, last year, I wish I had known that verse. What took me so long to find it? We're gonna, it's going to happen. We're all going to be able to identify different areas in which we've been the fool. Now, it's important, I think, to do this because we will not see the value in gaining wisdom until we can admit with humility that we've been foolish in some areas of our lives. Only when we see the limits of our own wisdom will we see the benefits of God's unlimited wisdom. And one of the most dangerous persons you will ever run into, and you could be very dangerous if you think this, and that is the person who doesn't know what they don't know. So start by admitting your foolishness and humbling yourself and saying, Lord, help me learn to be wise. Next, letter B, application B, prioritize God's wisdom. Prioritize God's wisdom. Uh, God's word denounces worldly wisdom that contradicts what he has said in the scriptures. Uh, one place that you can find this, if you just want to jot it down, is 1 Corinthians 3.19, where Paul says the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Now, however, there is some wisdom and knowledge that I think can complement the wisdom in God's Word. Examples of this would be best practices on finances, uh, uh, people management, time management, things like that. The Christ follower is called to learn, love, and apply God's wisdom to life. And the process of learning God's wisdom will take a lifetime, but we always have to make sure that we're keeping God's wisdom at the top of the list. And so basically, any additional wisdom, supplemental wisdom I can get from the world that doesn't contradict this, okay, I can add that in there. That's good. But anything that the world says from their wisdom that does contradict this, no, I'm rejecting that. I'm rejecting that. So, admit your own foolishness, 
and prioritize God's wisdom. Those are our two applications. You've been very patient this morning. I thank you. You've taken excellent notes. If you missed a blank, see me afterwards. I'd love to send you home with a completely filled out sermon note sheet. I'll be unpacking what Proverbs has to say about several relevant topics in the next several weeks. I hope you'll join me so that we can grow wiser together. But if you don't join me and you decide to take the summer off, be careful because in the words of Mr. Miyagi, you might get squished just like grape. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are pleased to give wisdom, and not just to give it, but to give it generously, as it says in your word. Lord, would you help us as a church to live wisely so we can please you? Father, I know from my own life, and certainly there probably are others here that can reflect on their life and come up with numerous examples of seasons, events, even moments where they lacked wisdom. They may have lacked it because they just didn't know any better. Sometimes we lack it because we're too proud to seek it. Sometimes we had the wisdom, but we chose to ignore it. Father, please, would you redeem those painful memories Thank you that you are able and you promise to bring good out of those failures. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace, we can do our best to walk wisely with you and we still will mess up, we still will fail, we still will sin. But in your great love and because of your great grace, you can turn even those stumblings for good. Lord, I want to pray for those right now that are maybe facing overwhelming odds or a challenging situation in which they need your wisdom. Please, Father, would you, by your Spirit, lead them to Scripture verses that can speak truth in their situation. Lord, lead them to wise, godly counselors that maybe can help share verses of Scripture with them so they can understand what you're doing, where you're leading, and what you want them to do. We love you, Lord, and we ask, please, help us to become a wiser church this summer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.